Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Thank you, Excel, for forerunning and uh, making the way easy for me to... You know, today Pastor Andre looked very relaxed. I can tell, you know, he was like standing downstairs, drinking a cup of plain water, hanging out with the two ushers at, a, at level one, and it's like, oh, hi, hi. so chill. Normally when he's preaching, you won't see him around. He's either like not talking to anybody or hiding somewhere in his office. So you know when he's appearing, meeting with you, you know that he's not preaching for, 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 the, for the Sunday. So I can tell that you're very relaxed. We still have breakfast yesterday. You asked me out for breakfast when I need to preach today. You know, next time I'll do that to you as well. Andre, let's go for breakfast, man. And, uh, you know, I just want to say that, it's, again, it's an awesome, really privileged to be able to stand uh, and to present the Word of God and to just share a little bit of my heart. Uh, I'm a little bit, um, just a little, little bit of a confession uh, <laughs> to make. You know, I, I've been going through this, you know, period of time where I'm learning how to be, you know, preparing for the baby to come and stuff like that. So I have to go through a lot of classes. And, uh, and so the last, the last two days has been quite intense, you know, visually intense uh, <laughs> time for me because like I have never been into like a class where they will show you videos of child birthing, you know, and how they were like, you know, say, oh, this, isn't this video nice? <laughs> and I was like, how is this nice? It's like, I like watching horror movies and I'm like holding on to my wife and, you know, looking at interesting pictures with all the different men and women in the room. You know, just kind of like men, men and women in the room, like trying to understand how um, a mother gives milk. And it's really, really intense. And I just want to say that I'm uh, overwhelmed this morning. <laughs> And I'm trying to steal my vision back to Jesus again, you know. And <laughs> but before I go on any further, I just want to pray. Can we pray? Yeah. All right, man, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you that you are a God that is faithful through the generations, that we can have faith today because someone before us remained faithful. And more than that, because we know that you are the most faithful being on the entire universe. When we are faithless, you choose to remain faithful to us. When we have no more sense of love, yet you still extend that love to us to fuel our hearts, to just pursue hard after you. And Father, today, we just want to come before you with humility in our hearts, recognizing that apart from you, we can do nothing. God, we just want to look to you again with our eyes fixed on the beautiful face of Jesus, meditating upon His nature and His splendor and His majesty. God, we want to, we want to once again experience the witness of heaven. Why, what did the angels and the elders see that makes them cry holy without ceasing, without, with that unceasing adoration in their hearts to just adore you in the time and space of eternity? What did they see? What is the witness of heaven? that we have yet to see that cause us to live like that. And we're asking you to just give us revelation, wisdom, insights, encounter our hearts, our soul, our spirit, that will transform even the way we live our life, that our lives will truly become a witness of the reality of your worth and your value to the world. God, we pray that will you bridge the gap of heaven's witness and the earth closer with our lives. 
that we will live in a way, in a manner that is worthy of you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. You know, um, this, this year, I just want to kind of like, um, it gets me a little bit more accountable. This year we are doing a conference, <laughs> uh, Burning Hearts, and, uh, and we are actually refocusing our community and, and kind of do a conference that's a little bit of a scale where we just want to focus on a, a, a specific message that God has given to our community. Um, and I just want to ask you to pray along with us because I feel like we have been doing this for the past seven years. Um, in burning hearts, coming in and out faithfully in the prayer room, just being in the presence of God, worshiping Him, singing the Word, praying the Word. And we've been doing that for the past seven years, and we felt like the, that this year mark is almost like God is bringing us into a new cycle of another seven years with a very specific purpose and assignment. And I just want to say that the specific assignment is going to be a little bit you know, rough because I feel like this is something that I don't think a lot of people kind of engage we felt like the Lord is calling us to call forth a, a company of people who, who I would say that they call themselves, in, a, in the Bible they will call them forerunners. People who will make straight the highway for the Lord to prepare the year for the return of Jesus. And the whole focus is all about having a hopeful expectation of a coming of a man. And I feel like this is one of those things that that we have not talked much about in the body of Christ today. We have a great perspective of the cross, but we have yet to have a great perspective of His coming because this is part of the gospel. The gospel started on the cross, it ends on the coming. And I feel like even for myself, it's a wrestle that I personally have been going through and for us to put this on a public domain, to just constantly call people to a certain lifestyle, to live a certain manner for the purpose of a man who is coming, and I think it's going to be a real challenge and struggle. You know, I'm a very tender boy that fears rejection, like all of us, right? We all don't like the sense of rejection, fear of men. But I feel like the Lord is just giving us courage as a community to just be steadfast and faithful in the message and assignment that God has given us. So I just want to invite you to pray with us as a community. And in fact, I just pray that you guys will also open your heart today because I am going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but not to the extent that it will be daunting, but I just want to give you a little bit of an invitation to help you understand some of these things that we have been carrying. If you can, turn your Bible with me to Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> How many of you enjoyed Andrew's preaching the last time when he preached? He said that I'm the prayer guy. I think he's the real prayer guy. Luke chapter 18. <laughs> and, a, and a passage I'm talking about today <laughs> is about a persistent woman, a persistent widow in a place of prayer. Yeah. But that's not going to be my main topic. I'm just going to read a little bit and I'm just going to put an emphasis on some points and then I'm going to go into the real message that I really want to present today. And um, let's read from verse 1 all the way to verse 8. Are you guys there? I do have slides to you, but I have a pro presenter with Bible apps in it. So you can read the scriptures. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. 
For a while he refused, but after he, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow has, keeps bothering me, and I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with a continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Will he, uh, to this elect who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, surely, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I'm not going to talk about a persistent widow today, but I just want to highlight the last phrase that the Lord has been striking my heart again and again. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? I just want to give you a little context of this parable that Jesus was making was, while he was teaching the disciples. It is actually a link and a response to the question in, 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 Luke, in Luke chapter 17 verse 20 about the question that the Pharisee asked Jesus about coming kingdom. If you read in verse 20, the Pharisee was basically asking Jesus about, hey, when is the kingdom of God coming? And whenever you read that phrase, when is the coming kingdom in the lens of the Jewish perspective, it's always about a literal kingdom that's going to be established on earth based on the covenant that God made with his father David and that there's going to be a son from the loin of David that will rule the earth and the nations with perfect justice and righteousness. And this is basic, basically the perspective of what the Pharisee was actually asking Jesus. When is the kingdom coming? When is the promise of the Messiah coming? If this is what, you know, we just want to know based on your knowledge and understanding as a rabbi, when is this day going to come? And you know, Jesus is always very sneaky. He don't give you a direct answer. He likes to give you parables for you to figure it out. And this is basically a response to, you know, to the question of the Pharisees by setting a context of a certain time and age. Before he comes, there's going to be people, judges, rulers and kings on the earth that will not respect or fear God, neither they will respect men. In fact, they will rule things and run things based on their own personal gain, personal agenda, and it's going to fill with injustice, chaos, unrighteousness, lawlessness will abound. Jesus was painting a picture when there was going to come a day before he comes back. The earth is going to be in chaos, in crisis. People are going to cast off restraint. They are going to throw the book of the law away. They are going to make themselves as though that they, are own, they become their own king and their own God to run things based on the way they want to. And Jesus said and gave an application. You know what? When that day comes, this is my application for you. The application for you is this. Don't lose heart in a place of prayer. Be like a persistent widow. Don't lose heart in a place of prayer. Pray day and night. If the unrighteous judge can actually respond to the tirelessness of a, a woman who just keep on asking for justice, what more God? And Jesus was basically setting a context of that whole idea of the world that we are going to be living in and what should we do in times like that. And then he ended with a question that left us, left us hanging. That is sometimes, you know, that, that cliffhanger. Is, Nevertheless, will the man, when the when Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, this question has kind of like, has kind of my, has set me on a quest. 
to really to go hard after God, to understand through the Scriptures, to understand what the Scriptures has to say about that period of time and that day, so that I can live a life when He comes, that He can find something that He wants from my life. You see, somehow that question suggests that it seems like when in the day in that generation of Jesus' return, faith is going to be a very rare thing on earth. It feels like that. That He will actually ask the question, in the midst of all this chaos and unrighteousness and stuff that is going around where, where crisis hits the earth, it felt as though that Jesus was painting a picture and when he asked that question, he's as though that he's painting a picture is actually quite rare to find faith on the earth. But at the same time, I felt like he was actually trying to draw us in and woo us and inviting us into that, that storyline. You know what? You can be one of those that will be found faithful in that day. It's as though that Jesus was extending an invitation for you and I to be found in a place of faithfulness, that when He comes, we will be one of those that will stand as a beacon of light in the times of crisis and darkness, that will radiate the witness of God while things become unclear and, um, and chaotic. And it sets a quest on my heart to just search out what kind of world we will be living in. In fact, you know what? I choose to believe the Bible is the most prophetic, informative thing you can ever lay hold of. It contains the past, it contains the present, and it even contains the future. If you're asking what's the most prophetic thing on the earth today, it's this. You know the truth is this, when we look around the world today with all the crisis that's happening, the bombings, the terrorist attack, and all these things that's happening, you think that there's no answer to it. But let me tell you an honest, an honest you know, personal honest opinion that Jesus was not surprised by it. In fact, He gave it all. He gave us a little peek into the world that, is, that, that we are going to be living in in the future and he, so, that he, so that we can actually be prepared to know what's ahead so that we can prepare ourselves. You see, I choose to believe that the reason why God will show us the end from the beginning is because it is His mercy. He will actually let us know what it's going to look like because of the consequence of sin, of the end of the age. It is His mercy because so that we can respond to God in a place of preparation and to prepare others to have courage to face difficult seasons. And this, because of this one question, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He comes? Begin to set a little bit of that question, evaluation in my own life. You know, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, in light of that day, will I have something to give to God? Will I be found faithful? Not only that, how am I living my life right now intentionally so that when, if ever that day comes in my lifetime, that I can actually be one that will be found by Him being faithful? How am I living intentionally, building my own life not just for myself, but for my children and my children's children, that because of my faithfulness in the way I live my life intentionally based on the Scriptures, that these people that is going to come after me will find faith through the way I live. The reason why we have faith today is because for the past 2,000 years, in fact, more than that from the days of Genesis, for the past thousands of years, 
people who have lived before God remained faithful to His commands and they stayed true to their witness of who God is and that is why we can have faith today. Imagine the story stops at Noah. Imagine the story stops at the 12 apostles and in the end they gave up because it's too hard to preach the gospel and they just died. They just live in seclusion and just, I don't want to do this anymore, it's too tough. Imagine we, these guys choose to give up their faith because it's tough. But the fact is this, we are here today because someone paid the price. We can have the comfort of beautiful buildings Nice, you know, environment that we can worship God is because someone actually had to sail across the ocean, lose their lives to bring the gospel across the Pacific to come to this part of the world, presented the gospel to us, died, and some of them they even made it in their road, in their boat ride, and they died. And because someone has given up something of their lives, their comfort, and gave themselves for the sake of the gospel, staying faithful to the commission and commands of God, and because of these faithful men, today we can have faith. It doesn't come cheap. It's costly. It did not just cost Jesus' life. In fact, there are many those who choose to walk Jesus' life by doing the same thing as He did to exemplify that they are truly the disciples of Jesus, to be heralds of good news, to face a world that, choose, that, that rejected Jesus, but yet they choose to embrace the assignment of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. You know what? I am. I live I, with this one question. It has caused my heart to be found in a place of fear and trembling because I'm thinking to myself, do I have anything in my life right now that can leave a legacy behind for my kid, for my firstborn that is coming? Is my life worthy of imitation that when he looks at me, that he will say that I know how to love God because my dad has actually exemplified faithfulness in the way he lives before God. If, and what am I doing today? I'm wondering, am I, is my life worthy of imitation? For to spur my kid to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To stay in the course of the assignment from, from day one of, of, the, of the gospel. That they'll finish it all the way to the end to see the appearance of the Lord. You have to understand, I gave myself, you know, I don't just want to live for this one moment. And I, I, think, to, I think to myself, the longings in my heart to see the appearance of Jesus cannot stay just with me. It has to be passed down to my kid. I want him to have a longing to see the face of Jesus face to face, that he will give himself to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so that Jesus can come back home and dwell among us. We did a communion just now, right? <laughs> you know, we, the, John did a little bit of um, you know, a, a role play of that Monday Thursday where he did the upper room communion. And do you know that, that the communion is not just about remembering what He did on the cross? It's about anticipating and looking forward to that day that we can drink this cup again with Him face to face. And He went to the cross leaving one cup undrank. Undrunk. And He went to the cross. And though He intentionally left the cup there without drinking it, it's because he's actually assuring his disciples, though you are going to lose me for a moment, as I go to the cross, I will be departing, I will be ascending to my Father, though I will not be present with you for a little long, for, for a period of time. But you know what? This cup here is a sign of my promise that I'm coming back to drink it with you 
again. And that became the very motivation of the apostles, of the disciples taking the gospel, going to the ends of the earth because they knew that in order for Jesus to come home, two things must happen. The gospel must reach every nation and Israel must be saved. This is the narrative of the Bible. And in my own personal life, I'm just thinking about my kid. It's become more real to me right now. It's that what do I have in my life that is worthy of his imitation, that will spur him to love God, not just in times of peace and prosperity, but in times of crisis and chaos. And you know, I just want to take one person's, um, this one little girl in the Bible to kind of like bring off the analogy because I want you to know that Jesus is looking for something in our lives. Jesus put a deposit in us and when he comes back, he's coming back for that deposit and inheritance in our lives. And I believe that everything that we receive from him, we are called to steward it and eventually when he comes back, it's for it is for the purpose of accounting it back to him that whatever he gave to you, have you been found faithful? And I just want to say that there's one little girl in the Bible that exhibits that sense of faithfulness. In fact, in order for you to be faithful, you require a steadfast spirit. Without steadfastness in being intentional to live a certain way, it's hard to be faithful. And as one of the most steadfast person in the Bible that I found through my, you know, as in my reading, you know, it's from this little village girl from Bethany, and her name is Mary. Are you guys familiar with Mary? Mary Beth? Is, he, is she here? Oh. oh, I call her name and she's not here. <laughs> Some of the, maybe the father is watching on the web stream. Huh? Oh, no. And I, I just want to just present to you a little bit of like, you know, okay, I just give you my sermon title because Andre always do that. Intro, 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 then give you the sermon title. Right? I think I should just follow that because he's my pastor. And the sermon of my title today, I mean, the title of my sermon today, <laughs> this, the title of my sermon today is Will He Find Faith? I mean, it's not on the screen, so it's anyway, it's like, that's I think climax. Will He Find Faith? Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the screen. Will He Find Faith? Remaining steadfast to the end. You know, uh, before I jump into the scriptures of, of Mary, going to find the address of Mary, I just want to give you some, like a little bit of a framework to help you to understand why I want to talk about Mary today. Um, you see, in the Bible, God always use, uh, he uses uh, types and shadows, a prototype, and a, a, it's kind of like God actually used personalities to bring out an essence of a truth of what he's looking for. And sometimes, and we know that Moses is known as the deliverer of Israel, and then, but Jesus will also be equated by, by the Jewish scholars that he, I mean, the Messiah is the greater Moses who will bring a, a deliverance for the entire world. So, you know, there's a lot of type and shadow using personalities. Mary is a type and shadow in the Bible about the, of the church as the bride. All right? Mary is really a type and shadow of, of basically a, the type of a church as a bride in, 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 the end, in the end of the age. 
In fact, Mary is actually one of the few persons that exemplify the first commandment, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the best. Out of, the, out of everyone in, in the New Testament, Mary is really one of that character. And I believe that God actually put Mary's life in the Scriptures is for us to use it as a reference point to, as, and to understand what He's looking for and how we can build our lives. So this is the context why I'm going to Mary. Um, so if you can, turn your Bible with me to uh, Luke chapter 10. And Mary only appeared three times in the Bible, in the sense that in three scenarios, but written across different parts of the gospel. But there, was, there were three significant moments where Mary actually appeared uh, in the scene, in the days of Jesus' uh, ministry. And, we, and I will just run through, touch on each of them. And I just want to, I just hope that at the end of this whole thing, that will give you courage to stay steadfast and to just think about how are we going to be intentional in living our lives so that we can leave a legacy behind? Not just inheritance, asset, money, wealth, house, but a faith for our generations to come. And so Luke chapter 10, I think most of us would know this story from verse 38 all the way to verse 42. I'm just going to read it. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the feet of the Lord, listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? The complaining spirit of Singapore was upon Martha. <laughs> Tell her then to help me. Then the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will never be taken away from her. You know, sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture, it's kind of awkward. It's like, we, there's no head, no tail. It's almost like the scene was being painted as though that Jesus walked in and he started preaching and then Mary just sat down. Then Martha just kind of do her stuff, right? You know, we always have this idea like it's like almost like an instant. There's no, there's no warm-up like, welcome to the house, small talk a little bit here and there. You know, just kind of like eat a bit of the food, you know, just kind of mingle a little bit. You know, this is how we go to a, someone's house, right? Before we invite someone to come to the house to share their hearts, it's not instantly this, oh, come here and sit down. I want to tell you the Bible right now. And it's almost like there's little icebreaker that will be going on. Martha was opening up her house, hosting people. So I believe in the, at that period of time, Mary and Martha was basically the host. They was helping to serve the people who was in the house because Jesus, Rabbi Jesus was in the room and he was about to teach. But before his teaching, Jewish people like to eat a lot. So they just kind of like pick up food and just kind of mingle, have fellowship commune over the meals and then when the whole thing kind of like settled down a little bit people are a little bit more comfortable that's when Jesus will start opening his mouth and start teaching and that's when Mary put down everything and went to sit at the feet of Jesus and like and then, of course, Martha is still like trying to wash the dishes, make sure that the orange juice is still, you know, intact, you know, making sure that there's still grapes on the table and, and falafel and shawarma and uh, stuff on the, on the table and making sure people are eating. Sometimes we read the Bible it's as though that it's so random. Mary just so it's like a lazy bum just sat down and just don't do anything. I, trust, I choose to believe Mary was a good host together with Martha, host of people. But the context is basically at a point when Jesus started opening his mouth, Mary instantly dropped everything 
and she sat down at the feet of Jesus, which is a posture of worship, and he started to listen to every word that he has to say. But Martha was very distracted with the serving. You know, Mary is a picture of a lover, and, um, and I believe she is the lover that Jesus is looking for that's described in the Scriptures, that one who keeps the Word of God. You see, we have a little tendency that when we think about a lover of God, we have many different definitions. The, the one that jumped the highest is the lover. The one that can sing the most passionate is the lover. The one that comes to church every week on Sunday, the most faithful is the lover. But there is a definition that God actually defines what a lover looks like. In John chapter 14, verse 15, it says that, if you love me, you keep my commandment. Mary, she is faithful and steadfast in this one thing, keeping the word of God in her heart. She sat at the feet of Jesus when it's time to just allow it, and it's the time where God is speaking. She just sat down and she'll give herself to just eat every word that's proceeding out of the mouth of God. And she kept it. And whereas Martha is one that is kind of very, you know, distracted, the problem with Martha wasn't because she was serving too much. The problem with Martha is what she was very distracted in the midst of serving. And the thing is this, there's no, nothing wrong with serving, so don't ask suddenly every one of you say, I don't want to serve anymore, Pastor Andre, then he's going to get me, he's going to drink coffee with me more and more often. But the problem isn't about serving, but the challenge was the distraction. You see, Martha can be in a room filled with the presence of God, Jesus was there, and she can be sitting in the best teaching in the world right there. Alright, in an environment like that. We can come to church on Sunday every week, alright, to just be in the presence of God, enjoying good sermons by Pastor Andre, you know, feeding us with great word of God. You know, but the thing is that we might even miss the point because Martha, though she was, she was in the presence of God and having te Jesus, teacher Jesus teaching the word, but she missed the point because she was too distracted by many things. And because of the distraction, there was anxiousness in her heart. And then she began to become the one of those complainers that because I serve so much, look at the guy, Andrew Soul, lay back, sit there all the time, just talk with me, and then always just sit there at the feet of Andre, talking and receiving the word, and then how come he's not doing anything? And then we start to compare ourselves. How come she can do this? I am the one that's serving. Then you begin to fight among one another and begin to say, how come this person is not doing anything? Pastor, pastor, why like that? And sometimes, you know, in a prayer room, this is what we get most of the time. It's, oh, well, these people in the prayer room are in burning hearts. Always sit there, only la. <laughs> Always sit there, just sing song, read Bible, sing song. Oh, the world needs to be saved, man. Do something. You see, the problem is not about the world needs to be saved. You know? The problem is this, that we speak in the midst of serving the Lord, we can be too distracted and lose sight of the reason why we do what we do. And Mary knew when she needs to be set at the feet of Jesus and gave her attention to, to, to Him. And in fact, if you begin to, look at, if you begin to look at the response of Jesus, you see, I would, I would rightfully think that Jesus would have rebuked Mary a little bit because, hey, your sister is so busy, go and help her. You no know, Singaporeans are like, hey, so busy already, go and help. But yet Jesus responded in a manner that is very, very interesting. That she said this to Martha. He says, Martha, you know what? You are too anxious and troubled. You are trying to be the Messiah right here. But right now, the Messiah is the one talking, and this is what you really need. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better portion, and this is the thing that can never be taken away from her. 
You see, we live in Singapore, we have a lot of things to check, right? Checklist. Tick, 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 tick. Sometimes we, our checklist is kind of like in a weird places, but Jesus was basically saying this one thing. He said this, you have a lot of things to do, I know. Priorities, you have the bills to be paid. You have all these things that you need to, you know, take care of. But you know what? Martha, but there's only one thing that's required and is necessary. This is the necessity of your life, to sit at my feet, to hear me talk to you. Because in order for you to live, it's not based on the things you do, by fueling and feeding every word that comes out from my mouth that will give you that anchor of your soul to basically face the world and do the things that God has given to you. You see, platform will come, platform will go. Someone more gifted can always be standing here, but one day you will become obsolete because you are old, you have no more strength, and your platform will, will be gone. But Jesus said this, but you know what? Every moment that you have with me at my feet and me talking to you, this thing will never be taken away. In fact, Jesus is giving her a memorial. He says, Mary, I am writing a memorial right now. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a heart that is steady, that has learned to keep my word. You are a lover with strength. So my first point is actually this. Mary was steadfast in keeping Jesus' word. In the midst of all the complaints and accusation, Mary was not wavered by it, but she still chose to sit at the feet, prioritizing the first thing first, to be found at the feet of Jesus, to adore him, and to value every word that comes out from his mouth. We live in a day and age today where almost, I would say, the Word of God has lesser priority and values in our life. In fact, we live in a day and age where we only pick and choose the Word that we want to hear. And you know what? A lover of God embraces every aspect of His Word. From the most challenging one to the most sweetest. When is the last time when you open the Bible... And when you read a passage of scripture, it causes your soul to be in a place of wrestle. When is the last time when you open your passage, a passage of Bible and a scripture and phrases in the words begin to cause a cutting in your heart? When is the last time when you open a passage of scriptures and you read an account of Jesus' ministry act or even his desire or his emotions? that cause you to weep and be overwhelmed by his heart. I want you to know he wants you to experience all this in his word. But it's only a choice that you can make. Mary has chosen it. That you can choose to let go of stuff that you think is necessary when Jesus said, this is more necessary than what you, all the things that you have. Sit at my feet. Keep my words. Love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for people and lovers who will keep his word regardless of what the world says. Let's turn your Bible with me to Mark chapter 14. So my first point is that Mary was steadfast in keeping his word. And I believe this is the thing that God is looking for 
when he comes back, people who actually has loved him well by keeping his commandments and his word. The second passage that I want you to turn to is Mark chapter 14, verse 3 to verse 9. I'm sure all of us here will know this passage very well. We have heard this sermon many times, a sermon about worship, Mary breaking the flowers, but I'm just going to read it anyway. Verse 3, and it says, And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nun. And, and the scholars believe that this woman is basically Mary based on the accounts of the different gospel because it's in Bethany. So, so basically the gospel of, I mean, the, the, the guy Mark basically just wrote a woman with, with an alabaster flask, very costly, broke the flask, poured over his head, and there was some said to themselves indignantly with anger. Why was this ointment a waste? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and give to the poor. Right there, you can get a Nobel Peace Prize from Jesus. <laughs> this guy can just get, oh Jesus, I'm so good because I think about the poor. What a waste! Why pour on you? And then they scolded Mary. But Jesus said, leave her alone, for do you, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could, and she has anointed my body before my, for my burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I just want to give it a little context again. Every time we think about this passage of scripture, we always think about Mary as the reckless love person. Oh, the overwhelming, well, just slide in. <laughs> right? It's like reckless love in pals, take something more expensive in your room, closet, and it's just break, ah, break. Attention seeking, you know, she's just very emotional woman, very reckless, just very in love, but very emotional. But I want you to know that it was in the context. Mary wasn't reckless. In fact, she was very intentional. She understood what she was doing. You have to understand this was six days before Jesus' crucifixion. And I believe all this while, as Mary was, has been one that has learned to keep the words of Jesus, hearing his teaching, understand the way that Jesus portrayed himself and, and to just kind of give hint of the fact of who he is. In fact, for many times, Jesus actually said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised in three days. I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised in three days. All his disciples, they heard this so many times, but they missed it. They should think, it is, in fact, they didn't even just think about Jesus is going to die. In fact, they were, con they were debating who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to stand the right and the left? The two cross, the, you know, the two criminal, you know. Who's going to be the left and the right? You know, who's going to be the greatest? And then they debate among themselves. They even call their mother in to talk to Jesus. This is how consumed they were about position. And they lost. They have not been, you know, able to hear every word. But Mary, as we know that she's one that kept the words of Jesus, she understood where Jesus was heading. And she understood that Jesus' identity as Messiah and King, and in order for a king to be, in order for a king to be crowned, the Jewish people has a custom, is to anoint them before they get crowned. So Mary understood that Jesus was about to go for his coronation, 
And the way that he's going to be crowned is not through the way of the world where he's going to be established on a throne to let the whole world see. In fact, he was being seen by the whole world, but it's going to go through death and resurrection. The way God has ordained Jesus' coronation is through the baptism of suffering, death, and resurrection. And Mary knew where he was going. Six days before the Passover, and she, she realized that, hey, it's not okay that Jesus is going to become a king, but he's not anointed. It's not okay that this Jesus who is our high priest, that's going to be a, a priest unto God, but yet not yet anointed. So she went to her closet to find the most expensive thing that she could find. In fact, it is something that I, most scholars will believe that it is for her own personal marriage because every woman will have a perfume that will give for them to make herself ready for the day of their wedding. And she took the most costly precious thing in fact it's her future and she took it all and she went to the feet of jesus and says jesus this is all i can do for you the world has not yet known that you are king but i want you to know that i know that you are the king that the father has raised and it's not okay that you are going to be crowned and going to the cross without being anointed so here you are i break the flask releasing a witness to the room that this is the messiah no one knew, but Mary knew. Mary gave all that she had so that Jesus can fulfill his calling. We live in a world today where we want everything that God has so that he can fulfill our calling. But Mary is someone that took all that she had in response to who Jesus is to anoint him for his burial, his coronation, and his ascension. You have to understand the breaking of the oil is Mary's witness of Jesus' identity. He's, he's basically trying to tell the room this, guys, this man is the Messiah. This man is the one that we are longing for. This man is the one that we have been going to that temple day and night, crying out for a deliverer. This man is right in our midst. Guys, he is the King of Israel. He is the bridegroom God that rejoices over the desolation of Israel. This man is God. Guys, and then people were angry with her. What a waste. Dumb. Give it to the poor. And then Jesus defended Mary by saying, why are you troubling her? She has done a beautiful thing. In fact, she knew what she was doing. She's doing it for my burial. And this is basically where Jesus tied in the gospel preaching with the act of Mary. Because the gospel preaching is not just about calling people to join a religion, but the gospel preaching is tied to this one thing, bearing witness of who Jesus is so that the world will embrace him. Jesus is the prophesied king that will come and deliver the nations, the crisis on the earth. And Mary basically broke. I was having a conversation with Constance one day while we were walking in the mall. And we were kind of discussing the question, why do you think Jesus would make this statement to the people? Because it, was, it seems to be a bit interesting because it sounds right for us to just give you know, the poor, you know, and stuff like that. And it's not, it's true. Part of our mandate as Christians is to do good work so that it can glorify God. 
That's part of my mandate. But I think what Jesus was actually confronting is this. She's confronting the, the very anchor point, the starting point of why we do what we do. And the thing is this, the poor looks the most immediate in terms of need, right? When you see someone in need, who is like begging on the road, we can tell that this person is in need, really need deliverance and freedom. That's why the emphasis is that the poor, the poor, the poor. But the truth is this. What makes you think that the person sitting beside you is not needy? Just because on the outward surface that these people are needy does not negate the fact that the world is in need. The richest person on the earth is in need. They may not be poor on the outside, but they are really poor on the inside. And what Jesus was basically trying to give a clue is this. You see, you set your eyes on the wrong, wrong things. Don't just attend to the needs of the fact that the world needs to be helped with our resources and all. What the world really needs is a deliverer and a king that will satisfy every need of every human soul. Meaning the needs of just giving them food is just touching the surface. But what they really need is more than that. In fact, not just the poor, but the rich. The one that's sitting beside you. And what Jesus was saying is this, as long as I'm not here, the world is in need. Bear witness of me to the world so that the gods, the people will respond to me more than the things you can do for them. We cannot reduce our gospel to just doing good works, attending the needs of the poor. It has to bear witness of Jesus' identity because he's the only one that can make every wrong things right. It's 12. I don't think I can go. So my, last, my second point is this. Mary was steadfast in her witness of who Jesus is. In fact, she was not wavered by what people think. In fact, she was faithful because she was faithful in bearing witness of who Christ is regardless of the indignant and the accusation of the people around her. She wasn't afraid. She was steadfast in making known the witness of Jesus and she is not afraid. And you know what, guys? I'm going to close with this. I'm not going to go to the last point. It can be a three different sermons altogether. But this is what I just want to say. Jesus did not call us to make the world love him more. I want to say that again. Jesus did not call the church, us, to make the world love Jesus more. That was not the mandate. But Jesus is calling us to be faithful in our witness of who Jesus said that he is and be faithful with our witness of who he says that he is. He's calling us to love him fully and rightly by bearing with faithful witness of who he says that he is. You see, the Son of God walks on the earth, perfect in his nature, did all the right things. He's perfect in his love, peace. He's perfect in his righteousness. He did all the right things and good things. But you know why is the thing that got Jesus killed? It is his witness of who he is. And if the Son of God or the Son of Man walks on the earth, perfect, God in flesh walks among men, perfect in love, can be nailed to the cross by the world. What makes us think that our calling in life is to try to make the world love him more? Because that's not our goal. 
our goal is just to be faithful in our witness of who Jesus is and they have a choice to make whether to embrace or to resist because that is the choice that Jesus put on display on the cross for the world to make. We are not called to make the world to by decorating the cross to entice them to come into the church but we are called to be faithful in our witness and our testimony of who he says that he is you know what? He's supreme. There's no, he's supreme and there is no other way to, to life. You know, these are some of those hard things. The exclusivity of Christ is offensive. But this is what He calls us to be a witness of. There is no one like Him in heaven and on earth. This is who He says that He is. He's the only one that can make every wrong things right to rule the earth with perfect righteousness and justice. Not a single man in heaven on earth can do what he do. He's the only one that can raise himself from the dead. There's no man that can do that for himself. And there's a certain exclusivity and, 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 and supremacy of who he is. And for us to say that he's the only way to life cuts into the heart of the pride of man. But you know what? That's not our basang. Basa. Basang. I don't know that's not for us to debate. It's for us to be found faithful in giving that witness. You know, I just want to end here. I have one whole thing, but I could not go into it. In fact, the last passage was my favorite. It's about Mary and Lazarus, uh, about him being steadfast in, his, in her waiting. The first point is Mary was steadfast in keeping the word. The second point was Mary was steadfast in her witness. The last point was basically Mary was steadfast in her waiting for the appearance of, the, of Jesus, even though when he was delayed. And um, but I'm just going to leave it as it is. But today, I just want to close with this. <coughs> it's, I'm trying to phrase it right. I have the band on the stage. Give me time. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He returns? Are there things in, you know, in your life today that you know that it is worthy of your children's imitation? That is something that is that God, when He looks at your heart, that you know that it is something that brings pleasure to Him. That you are giving to Him what He's looking for in keeping His word, to be that lover that kept His word, that you give yourself to feast until the word become flesh in your heart. Not only that, but to be one that is faithful in your witness to your friends around you, to be unashamed. But even in the midst of waiting for His appearing, that we will not grow weary, but we will still be posturing our hearts to look forward to the day of His return. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? Can He find faith in us today? If He were to come in the next few years, will He be able to find faith in us? Will our kids, will He be able to find faith in our kids? Will we be found faithful all the way to the end? And today I feel like there's an invitation from God to live life intentionally 
in light of that day that is to come. Because I want you to know that I didn't try to make this up to scare us. In fact, it's not supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be the most glorious day. You know Endgame? Don't worry, no spoiler. I have not watched it, so don't spoil for me. Do you know there's an Endgame to this Bible? And the glorious Endgame is that it's a splitting of a sky and a man return. And it's going to come into our role and make his home with us. And forever and ever, he'll be our God and we'll be his people. We'll sit under the leadership of a government that's perfect. Sit under the leadership of a government that's full of justice and righteousness. There'll be no poverty. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more weeping. But everything that is in the kingdom of God is, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what you have been given in light of the hope of the gospel. But in meanwhile, before we came, we come to that place, when we attain that place where He comes back, how are we intentionally living our life? To be faithful stewarding of, faithful stewards of His Word and, his, and our witness of Him. Because this is really what He's looking for from us. More than the things that you can do and build in your life, but at the end of the day, what is the thing that will remain in your life that is tangible and real? that our children and our children's children, when they look at us, they know that our faith is not just some ideas, but it's reality because we have lived it out faithfully. So today I just invite you to stand. We live in a world where there are lots of voices the voices of Martha trying to cause us, say, don't be a bum. You have more important things to do. There are voices where it will be like, you know, those, the Judas and the disciples that was indignant. Come on, man, chill out. Don't waste your time on Jesus. Why be so serious? Why take your most precious part of your life and give it to Him? Save it a little bit for yourself. In fact, use it to do some good works. It's good. Why do you be so radical in loving Jesus and bearing witness of who He is? You know what? There will be voices in our world today that will tell you otherwise. But Jesus said one thing that is necessary and Mary has chosen it. Not only that, but what she had done was beautiful. This is something that God has, Jesus himself was looking for and she found it in Mary. I'm just wondering in this room, when he comes, will he find that in us? That he will say of you, you have chosen the better part that can never be taken away. And he will say to you, you have done a beautiful thing for me. In fact, faithfulness is the most underrated thing in our generation. Yet, it is the very baseline of how God will evaluate all men. Well done, good and faithful. So today, I just pray that the Lord will allow His words to stir our heart today. Will He find faith in us today? So as the band begin to lead us in a time of worship, I just want to invite you to just respond to the Lord wherever you are. Jesus.